Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 529. Welcome in. Uh, Last night was incredible. I cannot wait to talk about it. Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker freaking Mayfield. Oh my goodness, it was so much fun. I really can't wait to talk about it. But before we do that, I have to give a big special thank you to Rocket Money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they have forgotten about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that you never use. Well, there's this great app I use that helps me track all the money I spend. Like, what exactly am I spending and what am I spending it on? So I owe a big thank you to Rocket Money. Uh, It used to be known as Truebill. Truebill is now the Rocket Money app. Rocket Money shows you all of your subscriptions all in one location and then cancels whatever you don't want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. And by the way, this literally happened to me. I was paying $8 a month to SoundCloud. I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. They helped me out. It was awesome. Sometimes you'll find out, by the way, you're being double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is hit the cancel button and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash SOS. It could literally save you hundreds a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash SOS. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash S-O-S. All righty. Rocket Money's awesome. Let me, I've got my like, little script for Rocket Money here. Let's put that to the side. Uh, they're great, dude. I, I, I genuinely like them. They're good to work with behind the scenes. I think that matters. Like I, I, I'm very picky about what sponsors I choose. I try not to choose crap that sucks. That's actually awesome. Do you know how many NFT sponsorships I get offered? Sponsorships, gambling, a lot of stuff. I, I think I might do a fantasy football one in the future because I'm starting to kind of change my tune on fantasy football. I still kind of hate it. It still kind of ruins football, but it also looks fun. And so, you know what? They're, they're kind of getting me that way. And it's actually not the sponsorship. It's like my girlfriend's brother plays fantasy football and I watch him every week and track his team with him. And I'm like, I could understand how this is kind of cool. But my point is, I, you know, I get literally like hundreds of NFT sponsorships or promote our crypto. And I'm like, dude, I, the money is great, but I do not want to, you know, try to talk about that to my audience. That's a terrible thing to represent me, the show. So I am picky, kind of choosy. People get annoyed with me behind the scenes about that, but I just only pick the best I can. And, uh, rocket money is legit. <clears throat> my voice is cracking. I'm I'm losing my voice a little bit. I haven't been sleeping a lot this week. I've been working and working and working and working, pulling lots of long nights and sleeping only a couple hours. So my voice is paying the toll for that. <clears throat> um, but I don't know. I've had a good week. It's episode number five of the week. We're doing great. Uh, next week on Tuesday, we're leaving the cold, rainy Pacific Northwest, going south through California over to Arizona. I want to be in Arizona for the Super Bowl. That'll be really, really fun. <clears throat> Dude, I'm I'm legit struggling to talk. What, what the heck? They tell you, talk for a living, Zach. It'll be fine. Well, you lose your voice and then you're screwed. Um, let's talk about what I thought was 
You know, I, I started last week's ep- or the last episode came out yesterday about Deion Sanders talking about how Deion Sanders is my favorite sports story in the NFL, in the football world, or really in the sports world in general. Like that, it fires me up. I love it. It's fascinating. I stand by that. But let's temporarily move that aside for the topic of the day, which, man, last night was so much fun. On Thursday night football, the Rams beat the Raiders 17-6. to And the biggest story by far from this football game was the Rams' new quarterback, Baker freaking Mayfield. Oh, my goodness. Look, I did not believe he was even going to play in this football game. Baker was cut by Carolina on Monday. He wanted, I think, to go somewhere else. They kind of mutually agreed to part ways. They released Baker on Monday. Tuesday, Baker was claimed off of waivers by the LA Rams. Wednesday, he got one practice with his new teammates. And by the way, that's not like a full pads practice. That's a Wednesday before you play. And Thursday, he was playing quarterback for the Rams and didn't just play, by the way. He led two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter, including the game-winning drive in the two-minute drill with no timeouts, 98 yards for a touchdown. Baker had a fourth-quarter comeback game-winning drive in his first ever. Like, he gets to L.A., and the next day is winning the Rams, the local home team. No offense to the Chargers, but the Rams are the the hometown heroes in L.A. If you go to L.A., all my friends there, they're Rams fans. They're not Chargers fans. The Rams have been adopted by the city of L.A. They won a Super Bowl. Winning is cool. Um... What a big deal, dude. Technically, Baker didn't start this game. John Wolford was the Rams' starting quarterback on Thursday night. He ran out. He handed the ball off three times. Then, you know, after LA LA went three and out, you know, they put Baker Mayfield in on the second drive. Kind of bizarre, John Wolford. I don't know why you didn't start Baker. Uh, I respect John Wolford. He's awesome. He played the AAF a while back ago. Uh, He does some good work. He actually, at one point, I think technically was the starting quarterback over Jared Goff. Like, Sean McVay loves John Wolford. There was a moment where the Rams are like, oh, Jared Goff is injured, and John Wolford started a playoff game for the Rams, and it's not because Sean McVay doesn't like John Wolford. But I I think, I don't know if it's the moment. You know, John Wolford's injured and not doing great. He's not 100%. Clearly something's going on, and uh, Sean McVay's like, we got to put in Baker Mayfield. I think it's shiny new toy. Let's see what he can do. Plus, John Wolford is a little bit injured, and the way Baker talked about John Wolford was very respectful, and it, it was clear like they were being careful with words, but John Wolford's job is not in danger in L.A. Again, Sean McVay loves him. I think he's going to be the man uh, backing up whoever is the starting quarterback for the foreseeable future in L.A., but Baker Mayfield came in. Baker Mayfield, by the way, first ever throw as an L.A. Ram was a big pickup, play-action throw to Van Jefferson. Really cool moment. By the way, you hear Baker Mayfield talking about uh, post game, I guess, you know, someone asked him, Hey, so you, you met Van Jefferson, what yesterday? He goes, no, no, no. I tried to recruit Van Jefferson to Oklahoma and he left me on red. And Van Jefferson's like, yeah, I did kind of ghost to Baker. Maybe <laughs> it's awesome, man. There's a fraternity in the football world of all these guys. You grew up going to camps. You go up, you play college football. These guys all know each other. Um, so it's not like Baker never met Van Jefferson before, but Baker Mayfield on the day was 22 for 35 passing, 230 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, played a very clean game. No picks, no fumbles. That's awesome. On top of playing well, it was there was like a middle stretch of the game where I think he started hot. They kind of petered off in the late in the third, you know, middle of the third quarter, middle of the game. The fourth quarter, though, Baker Mayfield put together two 
touchdown drives. The Raiders were down 16-3. to Sorry, the Raiders. The Raiders were leading 16-3 to over the Rams in the fourth quarter, and Baker led, back, led back-to-back touchdown drives. First, a 17-play, 75-yard, 9-minute drive. 17-play drive in the fourth quarter with a brand-new football team. That made it 16-10, to so the Rams were down 6 points. Then Baker got the ball backed way up on his own 2-yard line. So Baker was down 6 points, minute 45 to go, 0 timeouts. You cannot stop the clock unless guys get out of bounds or you spike the ball. And what Baker did was led a 98-yard touchdown drive to win the game. He threw the game-winning touchdown to his boy Van Jefferson with 10 seconds left to go. Dude, I was fired up. It was really insane. I've never seen anything like it. Um, most of the people he was playing with, he just met the day before for the first time. Not everyone, like he knows people, but like it's pretty insane to just jump into a new offense and immediately look as good as Baker Mayfield did. Baker Mayfield looked better playing for the Rams last night than he did ever once as a Carolina Panther. And, you know, I, I think part of it is coaching matters and the system we're in matters. You know, um, I guess there are similarities between the offense that Cleveland runs and the offense that the LA Rams run with Kevin Stefanski and Sean McVay. I think verbiage and the way things are worded. Uh, But I I just, it's unbelievable what Baker Mayfield did. I just want that clear. What what a moment. And to come in and execute at a high level and throw the ball with great timing. Like he used to throw out routes on time before receivers were breaking. And some of that stuff is kind of easier than you think, but like I remember going to camps and you're throwing, you know, tendered outs to receivers you'd never met in your entire life. And you throw the ball as they're breaking down, you put it in the right spot, they go get it. But it was still like really impressive timing. And there was a, a moment Kirk Herbstreit pointed out on a screen pass where, you know, he, he takes a three-step drop, he pauses, then he looks left, he throws to his screen pass. Like that's stuff that I'm sure they walk through it on Wednesday. But man, to get the timing perfect on things like that, it's crazy. It's It's honestly like... Baker Mayfield loves football. He's a football nerd. And Baker Mayfield's in football heaven right now playing with Sean McVay, I think. And that's an environment Baker will thrive in. When you give Baker Mayfield trust and you believe in him and you let him be the football nerd he is, which I'll tell you what, nobody loves football more than Baker Mayfield. I really believe that. And we saw that love really play out on Thursday night. J.J. Watt, uh, long time, you know, multiple time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, star edge rusher for the Arizona Cardinals. J.J. Watt tweeted about the game. He said, joining the team on Tuesday and winning a game on Thursday at the quarterback position is absolutely incredible. There are some positions that you can plug into a new team or system somewhat easily. Quarterback has to, by far, be the hardest. That is a damn impressive move, Baker. He said damn impressive, Baker. I added the word move. Everything else verbatim. Um... I really, really enjoyed watching this game. I just, I it was a surprise. I very much did not expect Baker to play. I'm like, look, they got 11 days off between this Thursday night game and their next game Monday night on the road at Green Bay. He's surely not going to play Thursday night after getting off a plane less than 48 hours before the game. He's going to wait, take 11 days to learn the offense. He'll play against Green Bay. No, no, no. Shock of the day. I'm hanging out with my friends at family dinner and Baker freaking Mayfield walks out of the field and you're like... What? What? My friend Quiet, he's not Quiet, but we call him Quiet, was like, dude, that's Baker Mayfield. I'm like, I did not expect him to play at all. And, oh my goodness. You know, Baker's been through a lot. 
You know, he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, a horrible franchise, had multiple coaches that uh, were fired after he was brought in, number one overall pick. Then they hire Kevin Stefanski, who Kevin Stefanski, let's be clear, he did not choose Baker Mayfield. He got hired by the Browns, and Baker was already there. But Baker defied all odds, led the Cleveland Browns, the worst NFL franchise of my lifetime. (laughs) He led the Cleveland Browns to a playoff game, and then they didn't really want him. They get rid of him, Baker. They, They trade Baker away and replace him with this really, really notoriously... Um, questionable character, Deshaun Watson, which we don't need to go into more of it, but what an insult to be replaced by Deshaun Watson. He's a talented quarterback, but that had to hurt. You won the city a playoff team, and that's the guy with his background they replace you with. Ooh, all the questions circling. Okay, you want me so little, you'll replace me with Deshaun Watson and all the baggage that goes with that. What an insult. Then Baker goes to Carolina, and I was saying all along, this is not a great idea. Baker Mayfield, like, cool, I want to see what he does. But Carolina is not ready to win. He's going to go to a, ugh, it was a mess. The coach got fired. He didn't play that great. Uh, I would say, honestly, I watched the first couple of games. I, I didn't say this, but I watched the film. I'm like, I, I don't know the team is supporting him that great. Like, people were saying, no quarterback has played worse in the NFL than Baker Mayfield. I held my tongue, but I was like, I, I don't feel confident enough to say this, but I just don't know that that's true. I, I watched a lot of stuff in Carolina They weren't great around him. Finally, 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 after a long road of Cleveland and the turmoil there and the ups and downs in Carolina, getting lots of hate, a lot of people making fun of him, Baker Mayfield was given a good opportunity to go to the LA Rams, and I loved seeing Baker do well. The dude has gotten so much hate and anger and vitriol over the years, and he doesn't help himself out. He's got a personality that I think... Uh, invites some of that stuff. But man, last night was a really fun moment to celebrate Baker Mayfield, who I I love the guy. I I don't know if Baker can follow up this Thursday night game and do it again next week, but I really hope so. I am very much rooting for Baker Mayfield. Uh, by the way, I do think it helped to have Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, in his ear in the headset. It's very well known that uh, when Sean McVay had Jared Goff as his quarterback, Sean McVay would, like, talk him through plays in the headset before the ball was snapped. You can talk until there's 15 seconds left on the play clock. They would snap the ball early a lot. So Sean McVay would be, like, right until the ball was snapped, be like, hey, look at the safety there. Look at that. Here's your read. Talking him through everything Jared Goff was seeing. I would imagine a similar thing happened with Baker. But I want to give Baker some respect. This is a guy who loves the game of football, who knows football really well. I think knows, has done enough camps and done enough studying of the game to clearly plug in and do well. He knows offenses. He knows how to run systems. He knows uh, play design is a nerd about it. And I I also would imagine, though, for stuff like against the Raiders, Sean McVay's in his ear saying, hey, there's one high safety. Make sure, you know, know, it's a three-step drop and I would go left to right here. He's probably giving him advice or saying stuff like, I don't know, make sure to pause before you let the screen develop on your left. Little things like that, I'm sure that was happening. Uh, but man, Baker, at the end of the day, he's the one who was on the field making great throws, and the location of the football was outstanding for Baker Mayfield. He was very, very accurate, and to be accurate with guys you haven't taken almost any reps with, I mean, like, for example, the fade ball to Van Jefferson, I I guess you can say, like, they don't have a lot of chemistry because he hasn't played with Van Jefferson really at all, but also, that's the right location. He puts it 
along the outside shoulder, along the sideline. He allows Van Jefferson to widen out and go get it. Um, it's when you are putting the ball in the right location, I don't clearly you don't need a lot of reps. Like Baker's accurate on an out route, putting it out along the sideline where only his guy can get it, things like that. That matters, and Baker did that outstanding. Um, I think it's also kind of cool that all of the Rams veterans welcomed Baker. Cooper Cup, quarterback Matthew Stafford. I loved watching the interactions between the Rams' injured veterans, like their star players. We're talking Cooper Cup. We're talking Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was rooting for Baker Mayfield and celebrating with him, which is very, very interesting to see. You know, you have your injured starting quarterback celebrating with the guy currently playing and doing well, not threatened. And and I mean, like Stafford's under contract through 2026, making a ton of money. But it's still, I think, cool to see a guy, Matthew Stafford, who's not jealous of someone else doing well. It's like giving someone else your car and watching them drive it really well. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, that's no territorial behavior from Matthew Stafford. I thought it made Matthew Stafford look really good, in my opinion, which I love. Um, also... People say Baker Mayfield's hard to get along with. I've, I've probably even said that before. Uh, what I saw last night was Baker fitting in really well with the LA Rams locker room. And I think a lot of that is on the coaching staff. When you have Sean McVay welcoming Baker and setting the tone uh, of this guy's awesome, let's have fun with him, it allows the whole locker room to go, oh, this is how we react to this guy. And I do not know what's next for Baker Mayfield. You got 11 days until the next game. The Rams play at Green Bay on Monday Night Football during Week 15. Uh, It's the longest distance possible you can have between games during the regular season other than having a bye week. So Baker's going to have a lot of time to settle in. Not that he needs it, apparently. Um, Now, when Baker went to Carolina, I was not excited. I said this is not a good opportunity for Baker to prove himself. You know, the coaching staff had problems. Clearly, coach got fired. Um, I, I was hopeful, but I just lost hope in Matt Rule. They had a, an offensive coordinator I didn't like. They had a lot of weapons around him I didn't believe in. Carolina was not a great opportunity for Baker Mayville to show the world what he could do. Now, the LA Rams playing for Sean McVay, this is a great opportunity for Baker. And Baker is fortunate it worked out the way he did. If he had finished the year in Carolina, I don't know where Baker Mayfield could go next year and who would want him. But now, Baker has a great opportunity to prove himself. Matthew Stafford, the Rams quarterback, we're assuming he could come back like the last game of the year, but I assume he's he's done for the year. Why risk your veteran quarterback? Let's give Baker an opportunity to shine. He's going to be in a system he likes, so the coach who wants him and gets to play the rest of the year as a Rams starting quarterback and hopefully prove himself and earn a role for next year, whether that's with the Rams or somewhere else. We'll talk about whether he could stay with the Rams next year, what that might look like. But LA is just a really great spot for Baker to show his talent. And I think that is exactly what he needs. Now, I watched Baker Mayfield's post-game interview with the Thursday night football crew. I just want to say this. It's really important to me. I really like Baker Mayfield. I hate the idea of Baker Mayfield being a villain in the NFL world. There are hosts like, um, I respect him, but Colin Cowherd or Stephen A. Smith, who have kind of turned their audiences against Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's fun to hate on, and a lot of people in the media, the sports media especially, really lean into that and I I think have, um, I think kind of mischaracterized Baker Mayfield. I remember in the draft process, 
Colin Cowherd went after his headband. Oh, I don't want a headband quarterback. He said that about Zach Wilson, too. It's like, dude, that's ridiculous. I played college football. When you have a headband on, it makes wearing a stinking helmet way more comfortable. What a ridiculous thing to criticize. Or the fact he went on a podcast and, you know, he should have, I, I remember, I was curious what he would say. He should have gone and, and done something, a quick hit. It's like, no, no, I like hearing Baker Mayfield in a, in a setting where he can really air it all out and you can get to know the guy a little bit. I, rem- I recommend listening to Baker Mayfield's appearance on the, uh, I think it's You Never Know, the YNK podcast. Um, I-, I think Baker is very much misunderstood by so many people that are observing him. And often, like so often, Baker Mayfield's words are twisted and taken out of context. But if you actually take the time to listen to Baker... I think you're going to like what you hear. Baker's awesome. Like, I really, really liked his interview on the YNK, the, or the, it's the YNK podcast. Uh, there's some guy named Mike who did it. Um, Baker's been through a long, humbling process, and I think it's been good for him. I loved watching the guy on the sidelines last night on Thursday night. He's encouraging, man, and the Rams have welcomed him. And he's a good fit there. And apparently once upon a time... Baker Mayfield and Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, sat together on a plane. They were flying, uh, they said Southwest Airlines, so like a commercial flight. And they sat next to each other on a plane and they talked and got to know each other. And clearly Sean McVay was excited to work with Baker Mayfield. And it, it matters when you have a coach who welcomes you in and sets the tone for how the rest of the organization is going to respond to you. And Baker Mayfield gave a great answer. He said, you know, I don't want to let my on-field play impact who I am day-to-day in the locker room. I'm encouraging people. I want to enjoy the game. And I loved Baker Mayfield in college. People forget this guy was a two-time walk-on. Texas Tech and Oklahoma. He lived my dream. He was a kid who nobody believed in, who went to Texas Tech, walked on, killed it. They didn't give him a scholarship. There's some drama there. He goes to Oklahoma. He walked on, wins a Heisman Trophy, wins it, <laughs> number one overall pick, goes to the NFL. Like, Dude, what a story. Why is that not celebrated more? Baker Mayfield is one of my favorite college quarterbacks of all time. And I will always appreciate his college journey because he just showed his pure joy and love for football. And finally, I feel like I saw that again. Baker Mayfield is, I think, a special like human and his love for the sport And watching Baker's face on Thursday night, you saw joy, you saw passion, you saw love for the game. That makes me so happy, man. I really, really get fired up um, when people, I think a lot of the criticisms of Baker are just stupid or people that don't know him or aren't educated. And I'm just really, really glad to see him do well and succeed. Now, I want to go to Patreon to answer a question about Baker Mayfield. Uh, you can submit questions at, and, and I'm stalling because i got to open my notes up. You can go to uh, submit questions at patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. So Zach writes in, which Zach, you got a great name. He even spells it right, Z-A-C. This isn't me. I didn't write this. <laughs> Someone on Patreon has a name, Zach. I love that. That's amazing. Zach wrote in on Patreon and said, with Matthew Stafford having a spinal contusion, do you believe he, Matthew Stafford, could retire? With all of the injuries he has had, such as a nagging elbow injury, a broken back in 2018, the dislocated arm during his rookie year, and now this final contusion, is this the straw that broke the (laughs) Stafford's back? And he says again, um, Matthew Stafford is clearly a family man, so it would only make sense. 
what else does he have to play for anyway? And then he says, uh, like a little little sign off, a Zach with his name spelled right. Dang right. Although, hey, look, I met a guy, um, you know, I, I work in my truck. So like I, I was out all night the other night working on the show and I was parked kind of behind a 7-Eleven. I go in, the guy's name is Z-A-Q, Zach. I don't care how you spell your name. If you're a Zach, we got to stick together. That's awesome. Um, I think there is a possibility Matthew Stafford could retire. He won a Super Bowl. He's got nothing to prove. He's monumentally rich. Uh, maybe Matthew Stafford wants to hang out with his family. That that makes total sense. He's got kids. There's warm weather. He's got an awesome wife. Um, but also maybe Matthew Stafford wants to make a ton of money being the quarterback and being the man in L.A. I could see it going either way. Let's acknowledge that. There, there, I could just I, I visualize a world where Matthew Stafford does either either option. Um, what Baker Mayfield brings to the table is it gives the LA Rams a an insurance option. But maybe Baker Mayfield is next after Matthew Stafford. Maybe if Matthew Stafford thinks he's close to retirement, Baker takes a team friendly deal to stay in LA with the Rams and says, "Hey, I'm I'm going to wait my turn, but I love Sean McVay. This is the environment I want to be in." Maybe Baker's better as the number two guy in LA rather than going to a bad team next year and being, you know, trying to fight for the starting job. I don't imagine him enjoying being a backup, but he's also done it before. And I, I think if you're ever going to be a backup, the situation to do it in is in LA where your college coach Lincoln Riley is. You're playing for Sean McVay. You're in an awesome system in a cool culture that likes it. And whenever Matthew Stafford is done, or if he gets hurt, which he has gotten hurt quite a bunch. Baker Mayfield's there, ready to go. I, I think it makes total sense if Baker, whether he's a starting quarterback or not in L.A., might just choose to stay in L.A. because that's a better life than a lot of other places in the NFL. To be the backup quarterback playing for Sean McVay in L.A., a cool city, you're rich. L.A., if you're rich, is absolutely awesome. If you're not, it sucks. There's traffic, it's horrible. But if you're rich, L.A. is an amazing place to be. L.A., New York, if you have money... Wow. I'd rather be poor in New York than poor in L.A., to be totally honest, by the way. There's more adventures. You don't need a car, yada, yada. Um, weird side tangent, but why not say that? Um, I think, again, there's a possibility of Matthew Stafford retiring. And having that possibility makes this Rams-Baker Mayfield ongoing storyline, developing narrative. It makes it more interesting because Matthew Stafford is 34 years old, which... He's very young, not only as far as quarterbacks go, but it's funny, we act like athletes die at 40 years old. Like, he's a young man, period. 34 years old is not old. And if, and I'm 25, that's nine years away. Like, that's going to come quick for me. And if Matthew Stafford keeps playing for a couple more years and puts up really big numbers and maybe wins a couple more playoff games, I think Matthew Stafford has a legitimate shot at making the Hall of Fame with a Super Bowl ring in his back pocket. He's going to have incredible numbers, a couple playoff victories. Um, but also, Matthew Stafford may not care about that. And I could see a world where Matthew Stafford goes, I'm rich, I'm happy, I'm going to back off. I really could see it going either way. But I also I see a reality where Baker Mayfield recognizes, hey, I, I've been a backup. I've been uh, on a bad team, the Carolina Panthers. I do not want to do that again. I'm trying to think of who would have an availability at quarterback next year. You know, what comes to mind is the Atlanta Falcons, right? Desmond Ritter's a rookie quarterback. I don't love their head coach, Arthur Smith, Marks Mariota. Do you want to go fight for a job on a bad football team like Atlanta? Or do you want to be the backup in L.A. waiting your turn 
in an awesome environment where people win, they're star players, you're in a cool city that's fun to be rich in with a coach who loves you. I think there's a chance Baker Mayfield stays in LA just to be the backup and wait till he gets his opportunity um, because of the perspective he now has on what it's like to play for a bad football team, the Carolina Panthers. A bad losing franchise that isn't all in on you and is not really sure if you're going to be their starting quarterback. That's a hard road. So I don't know, man. Baker Mayfield was the hero. And I I really, really enjoyed this heroic moment from Baker Mayfield. I loved it. Um, one of my highlights of the year is, uh, this is what I wanted to happen in Carolina. I, I wanted Baker Mayfield to be great. He wasn't. And I think a lot of that was the environment he was in. But I, I love the guy, man. I, I will I will always say that I, he's one of my favorite college football players of all time. There's a lot of time left in his NFL career. And when you back Baker Mayfield into a corner, he he is regularly in his career found a way to succeed. And uh, I just think he is... I just... I hate the idea of Baker Mayfield being a villain. That's just wrong. You You hear his story. You hear who he is. He's hard not to fall in love with. Again, he walked on twice in college. He was a guy no one wanted and no one believed in who went on to win the Heisman Trophy and be the number one overall pick. We celebrate Josh Allen for the same story. No one wanted him. He went to Wyoming, made his own way. Baker Mayfield did exactly that. Why is that not viewed as incredible and cool? I don't know. And and the progressive commercials at home with Baker Mayfield in the Brown Stadium, absolutely loved them. They were fun. Sorry. They were hilarious commercials. So... I don't know. I don't get the hate on Baker Mayfield at all, and I love seeing the guy succeed and do well. Okay, so Baker Mayfield was a hero and the fun story on Thursday, but we got to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders because I swear the Raiders are allergic to winning. I don't understand. Um, think about it this way. The Raiders are playing the Rams, who going into the game were 3-9 and nine with a quarterback that had been on the team for two days. And the Raiders lost to that team, the 3-9 and nine team with a quarterback who just got there, who is barely beating his receiving core. Baker outplayed, by the way, the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr. Numbers aren't everything, but listen to this. Derek Carr was 11-for-20 passing with 137 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. One of them at the end of the fourth quarter trying to make a play. I get it. But Baker had no turnovers. Baker was 22-for-35. 230 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions, and an offense he just started playing in the day before. Are you kidding me? How, how, how can Baker Mayfield outplay Derek Carr in this moment? That's that's insane. That's ridiculous. That should never happen. And it's not only insane in a positive way for Baker Mayfield, it's insane for Josh McDaniels, for the Raiders, for Derek Carr. It is shameful to have Baker Mayfield outplay Derek Carr in this moment. To lose this game? Are you kidding me, Raiders? What are you doing? The Raiders had key penalties at the end, just handing the Rams opportunity after opportunity. And it's been a bad year for the Raiders. They're 5-8. and eight. Seven of their eight losses have been by one score or less. And I just, it's insane to me how the Raiders are so creative at finding ways over and over to lose football games. Like, I just, what are you doing? You don't want to win? <laughs> and they're just like inventing new ways to lose games. It's baffling to me. I, I am beside myself about the Raiders. What a, 
embarrassing, shameful organization. You can't even afford to fi- to fire your head coach Josh McDaniels. He's not doing well. I don't. I I don't even know what to do for the Raiders. I was kind of excited for their year. I'm like, they got Derek Carr, they got a new coach, they got Devontae Adams. It's gonna be awesome, and it's been a failure. Do you get rid of Derek Carr and restart? I would like that for Derek Carr's sake. He's had a tumultuous career in the, with the Raiders organization. But can does anyone want Derek? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you move forward with the Raiders organization. Now, I've got a question from the audience uh, from Andrew on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Is it forward slash? Is it backslash? It's just slash. I don't really care. Patreon.com. Go to Zach Schaumler. Find my name. It's awesome. Anyway, Andrew writes in and says, Hey, Zach. And his eyeballs, which I love. I do. I read every question with these eyeballs. Andrew says, I was wondering what your take is on paying running backs long term. I am a Raiders fan, and I have seen this team start to turn things around on the back of Josh Jacobs and Devonta Adams actually getting thrown the football. Early signs suggest that the team does not intend to bring him back, which makes me sad, as I know he is a loyal member of the team, well-liked in the locker room, and even had a Raiders tattoo done when he was drafted. Do you think the team should bring back Josh Jacobs? And how do you feel about long-term running back contracts in general? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Um, Let's start with this comment. In my opinion, the way the Raiders have handled Josh Jacobs is another embarrassing mistake by this Raiders organization. I don't like running back long-term contracts. Let's be clear about that. I'm deeply uncomfortable when... Any team announces a long-term deal with a lot of money to a running back. It's happening less and less because running backs don't last very long. Like it's like it's like it's like tread on a tire. Like your tire wears down, and you got to replace them. You you can't just wear down your tire and wear it down. Eventually, that breaks down and doesn't work anymore. Um, or a better example is mileage on a car. Right? You don't want a car with high mileage because you know it's got a limited amount of time before it's done. Every yard a running back runs for is mileage on a car. You just don't. So I, I love the the formula is you draft a running back, get him on a rookie contract where you're paying them nothing. You take advantage of, I hate it, but it's true. You take advantage of that rookie contract to pay them nothing. And when their contract is up, you move on to the next guy. That That's the formula. By the way, it's, it's shady. It's uncomfortable. It's very anti-pro player, but it's the right thing to do if you're a football team because that's how you get maximum value. I don't like that. Right, that's slimy and sucks, but it's also, I think, kind of objectively known. That's what you do with running backs, and that's why I encourage everyone: don't play running back, play quarterback, play receiver. Running back, you're going to get used and abused. Your body's going to get broken. You're going to underpaid. It's not good. But the Raiders had a shining, shining opportunity to have a running back, Josh Jacobs, on a cheap contract, <laughs> and they didn't do it. They're so stupid. The Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels, the GM Dave Ziegler, they made the genius move of not picking up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. When you are a first-round pick, rookie court, you know rookie contracts are four years. But when you're a first-round pick, you get that extra fifth year you can tack on, uh, and it's a it's a way to pay a guy a cheap amount of money. It guarantees if you're going to draft a guy in the fifth in the first round. You have them for a little bit longer. That's why the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson in the first round. They moved back up to get him in the first round because that gave him their fifth-year option. The Raiders not picking up Josh Jacobs, their running back's fifth-year option, 
never really made sense, and it makes even less sense now. When you look at Josh Jacobs right now, he's the leading rusher in the NFL. And by the way, he's 300 yards ahead of the next guy, Nick Chubb. So even though he's the only team that's played, you know, the Raiders, uh, it's there's only one game in played in uh, week 14. He's more than a game ahead of the next guy, Nick Chubb. Josh Jacobs has run for 1,402 yards and 11 touchdowns. He leads the NFL in a bunch of categories rushing. He's incredible. He's playing so, so well. And hold on. We got a, a motorcycle just revving up their engine. I'm going to let him let him figure out what's going on. Um, you know what it was, actually? I'm, I'm, I can't tell what that is. I For the, the full podcast, I'll leave this in. Uh, for the clip, I'll probably cut it out, but I can't tell. It is a, it is a motorcycle. I thought it might be like the trash can. Yeah, there's a big dumpster, and sometimes when you close it, it slams. But no, it's just some guy revving his motorcycle engine. I'm gonna pause. I'll come back when the motorcycle figures out where it's going and what it's doing. I, I just, I, I, no, no. Let's actually have a moment to make a comment. I do not understand at all why people like. I, I like the feeling of a loud car with a little bit of feedback. But the really loud cars that just intrude everyone else's day and space and ear ear canals, like I, I don't like that at all. I don't. There is a little bit of car noise that's fun and you feel the power of the engine, but just monumentally loud. Don't get it at all. Where was I? I think the, the motorcycles moved on now. Um, the Raiders have a running back, Josh Jacobs, who's playing outstanding, and it's the last year of his contract, so it's a contract year. He's playing to earn himself more money in the future. The Raiders could have had Josh Jacobs for one more year. They, they had the option to give him a fifth year of their contract during the offseason. That would have given him one more year on his rookie deal, which would have been a way for the Raiders to pay Josh Jacobs way under market value. And the Raiders didn't do it. Now, because of the bad choice Dave Ziegler made, the Raiders GM, now if the Raiders want to keep Josh Jacobs, they're going to have to either pay him or franchise tag him. Both are expensive. You have to pay their running back a lot of money because he's played great. When you're the leading rusher in the NFL, I'm sorry, but you deserve a lot of money, in my opinion. Or you franchise tag him. Or you let him walk away. All options are negative or expensive. Walk away, pay him, franchise tag him. This is why this is another embarrassing mistake by the Raiders. They might be able to keep him. I think it's possible. Josh Jacobs likes the Raiders. He wants to be there. But also... My advice to Josh Jacobs would be, dude, running backs don't last long in the NFL. This is what his, his agent's going to tell him. Josh Jacobs, you're on a with a franchise that's losing anyway. If you get offered more money with another organization, you better take it. I would advise you strongly, Josh Jacobs, take the money. If you were winning with the Raiders and you were close to a Super Bowl, hey, fair enough. Take a team-friendly deal. Try to win a Super Bowl. But you're not. So if anywhere else offers you a bigger contract, take the dang money, take care of your family. It is baffling the Raiders didn't see this coming. They had a running back who for four years was awesome. Uh, He's better than ever this year, but like, you know, the Raiders did not extend any of their rookie guys, uh, didn't extend a fifth year option to any one of their players. You know, they, Cleland Farrell, you didn't give him, you didn't, you know, extend the fifth year option. Makes sense. He's been a disappointing defensive end. Jonathan Abram, good move. He's not even on the team anymore. That was a good move to not give him his fifth-year option. But Josh Jacobs was the mistake. And when they didn't give Josh Jacobs a fifth-year option, I was kind of like, hold, hold up, why? 
Like, I remember being like, oh, it's a bad look for the draft, but actually I was wrong. Clearly, Josh Jacobs is a stud. And for some reason, they didn't have the foresight to say, hey, we might want our running back for one more year on a, on a cheap deal. They cheaped out even further, and now they're going to have to either lose him or pay him a lot of money. Uh, I, I think Josh Jacobs is gone after this year, and it's it's a, it's another baffling, embarrassing mistake by the Raiders organization. And uh, I don't I don't know how to save them. I, I I think that they are the. I I really love to like sit on, you know, sit at my desk and have a notebook and be like, how would I fix this franchise? What would I do? And I, I make like a whole list of stuff. I don't even know where to begin with the Raiders because you can't fire your coach. You can't afford it. You got a quarterback who's expensive and playing up and down. And I think really what Derek Carr needs emotionally is a reset with another team that wants him. Ugh. I don't, I don't know how do you fix the Raiders organization at all. And it, it's just shameful what's going on with the Vegas Raiders. Okay. Um, I want to mention an interesting headline. Trent Dilfer has offered, well, not offered. <laughs> you can't offer yourself a job. Trent Dilfer has accepted uh, a job as the head football coach at UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham. He's a notable coach. He's a former NFL player. He won a Super Bowl as the Ravens quarterback. Uh, he would say himself, he, he literally said it when I was at a camp with him in high school. He's like, I'm probably the worst quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl, but those who can't do teach. And you know, he won a Super Bowl on that team led by Ray Lewis, and they got rid of him after that year. But he, he's awesome. Like, he, I, I worked with him in high school a couple times. He was great to me. He led the, all the Elite 11 work uh, when I was in high school. He recently coached high school football at Lipsum Academy in Tennessee. Um, now he's a head football coach at UAB. And I want to talk about it, but I I, I, I worry for him. I, I, I really like Trent Dilfer. I, I think he's awesome. Uh, a guy I've met and shaking hands with and giving a hug before. Um, UAB is a, a tough job because there's not a lot of money in that program. Uh, at one point, they canceled football in 2014 for like a couple of years. So I, I am I'm worried a little bit because I I want to see Trent Dilfer do well. I'm sure he has a plan. Um, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there's a reason he took the job and believes in himself. And I am rooting for Trent Dilfer at UAB. I want to see him win. Um, I, I'm hopeful that UAB is just a stepping stone for him, the same way Jackson State was for uh, Deion Sanders. He's in a coach there for a little bit win and then hopefully go somewhere else where they can get him better resources and better players and more support. Um, so I, I think for Trent Dilfer, UAB is a stepping stone, but it was, it was cool to see the guy get a job. And I, I know he loves football. I know he loves working with young men and, uh, I am, I'm very much rooting for Trent Dilfer as the head coach of Alabama, Birmingham. Now, uh, Saturday, December 10th is the Heisman Trophy ceremony. The Heisman Trophy winner will be announced. All four finalists are quarterbacks this year. You got USC quarterback Caleb Williams, TCU quarterback Max Duggan, Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud, and Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. Caleb Williams has the best numbers of all these quarterbacks. Um, I also think he's the best player of the four finalists. You know, he's, it's college football's best player is the official um, wording and description of the award. Not only is Caleb Williams the most fun to watch, he's the one I wouldn't want to play against. He, he He's like a video game, and he does stuff that you can't even do in Madden or the NCAA game. Like, he makes defenders miss in crazy ways. He 
It's like he rubber bands his body into weird contortions and slides off of defenders and throws the ball downfield. It's crazy. I recommend if you haven't watched the Pac-12 title game against Utah, he lost. And I really hope the loss doesn't hurt him because he was let down by his team. His defense was atrocious. The loss wasn't his fault. But go watch the highlights of that game. He was making defenders miss and doing crazy stuff in the backfield and moving in the pocket and throwing the ball downfield and... Oh my goodness, Caleb Williams is absolutely a menace to defenses. And um, I, to me, Caleb Williams is the Heisman Trophy winner. I just wonder if voters are going to be able to look past the loss at the end of the year to Utah. Um, there's a fun dark horse. Stetson Bennett is not going to win. He's Georgia's quarterback. But I would be so happy if Stetson Bennett won because... I think Stetson Bennett is underappreciated. And maybe him just going to New York and being a finalist at all is him getting the recognition he deserves. But Stetson Bennett doesn't have the most insane numbers, but the dude balled out at Georgia this year. I watched him a lot. And, you know, last year, I would say the way to put it is Stetson Bennett won a national championship with a really good Georgia team around him. The team kind of pulled Stetson Bennett to the title and, they won with him. This year, Stetson Bennett got even better, and he is leading Georgia. He's the guy out front leading the team. Not carrying, not being carried, but he is leading the team to a national title. And I have watched Stetson Bennett in big plays against Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, these really good quarterbacks, big-time games, and Stetson Bennett went toe-to-toe with everybody he played. And you're going to see in the college football playoff against C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett is going to go throw for throw with C.J. Stroud. And that's going to be surprising to a lot of people, but I, I just, I've seen it all year. He's at a different level. And so for him being on the list at all is very, very cool. And I'm very, very excited. Uh, I must admit the quarterback I am probably the least informed on, and I think it's important to admit this, is uh, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State's quarterback. I, I haven't watched a lot of C.J. Stroud. I watched him three times this year. I watched him against Northwestern play kind of an ugly game. I watched him lose to Michigan. And then I watched some game early in the year where they dominated a bad opponent uh, like Nebraska or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but, you know, I I think a lot of what makes C.J. Stroud good, my impression, but remember, I've watched him only three times this year, so it's not a fair analysis. My impression is, He's with a lot of great players around him and is made to look really good in the system he's in. Um, I, I, Stetson Bennett, I, 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 I just I don't, know to, I don't know how to analyze CJ Stark because I haven't watched enough. So he might win the Heisman Trophy for all I know, and I, I just don't know enough. And I, I think it's very important to admit that I don't know a lot about CJ Stroud. Uh, I'll do a film analysis at some point in this offseason if he declares for the NFL draft. Um but I, you know, Max Duggan, TCU's quarterback, watched him all year. I, I watched so many TCU games. I loved, loved, loved watching this program because they played so many close, interesting games. Ohio State did not play in a lot of close, interesting games. They played in a lot of games where they dominated. And I, I, I'm more interested in drama and chaos and games that are tense down to the wire and end in the fourth quarter on the final play. And TCU did that a bunch of times this year. And Max Duggan made a lot of big-time clutch plays for TCU. Um, I, I love his heart and his passion for the game. He's an awesome leader. And, uh, I really, I love, I just really, really admire Max Duggan. He's really a cool guy that I think I'd love to be friends with. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, my Caleb Williams is one, 
Max Duggan could win. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's in the he took TCU to the college football playoff. The way he ended his year against K State, uh, they lost in the Big Twelve championship. But he was like, dude, he was giving everything he had, and I think voters are going to remember that and believe in that. Um, Stetson Bennett is my third choice, and then C.J. Stroud would be my fourth pick. You know, it'd probably go Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, Stetson Bennett, C.J. Stroud. But again, I admit I, I just haven't watched a lot of C.J. Stroud to know. I could be way off base there. Here are the numbers for these four quarterbacks. Caleb Williams has thrown for 4,075 yards, 37 touchdown passes, four interceptions this year. He also ran for 10 touchdowns, so he accounted for 47 touchdowns uh, this year for USC. C.J. Stroud, Ohio State's quarterback, threw for fewer yards, 3,340, 37 touchdowns alongside Caleb Williams, six interceptions, so more than Caleb Williams, and C.J. Stroud did not run for any touchdowns at all. So um, Caleb Williams accounted for 10 more touchdowns than C.J. Stroud. He also threw for more yards and had fewer interceptions. So numbers-wise, Caleb Williams is a more impressive option uh, to win the Heisman Trophy than C.J. Stroud. If you're just looking at numbers, although there's a lot more factors that go into voting. Stetson Bennett uh, threw for more yards than C.J. Stroud, 3,000. 425, 20 touchdown passes, six interceptions. He also ran for seven touchdowns. Not the most gaudy, crazy numbers, but look, I I watched Stetson Bennett make a lot of impressive throws. He regularly got Georgia down along the goal line where they just ran the ball with power. That's why he's got fewer touchdown passes uh, because he played in a really good team that ran the ball really well in the red zone. Max Duggan, TCU's quarterback, threw for 3,321 yards, 30 touchdown passes, Four interceptions. He also ran for six touchdowns. Um, yeah, this is probably my second choice for the Heisman Trophy. But I think Caleb Williams, to me, if, I, if I'm if i voting, I would vote for Caleb Williams to win the Heisman Trophy. That's my prediction. It's who I think is going to win. But it's hard to know because voters are humans, and you don't really know what humans are going to go with. Uh, so I ask you the question, who do you think is going to win the Heisman Trophy? Please write in let me know. I'm very curious to... I just I, I feel like I th- this is such an ambiguous year where there's no clear obvious Heisman Trophy winner. I think if Caleb Williams had beat Utah in the Pac-12 title game, he would be the clear and obvious favorite. Uh, this is why I'm predicting Caleb Williams because a week ago he was the clear and obvious favorite, but since losing to Utah, you're like I don't really know anymore. So we'll see. I'm predicting Caleb Willi- Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback, will win. But write and let me know what do you think? Who do you think is going to win the Heisman? trophy. All right. Um, we got a couple fun storylines this weekend in the NFL. It's NFL week 14. The Jets play at Buffalo. And the big question is how is Jets quarterback Mike White going to play? The Jets beat Buffalo with Zach Wilson as their quarterback earlier this year. So I believe Mike White is a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. If you could win with Zach Wilson, what can you do with Mike White? But also that's not how football works. And Buffalo's going to be looking for revenge. It's a home game for Buffalo. It's going to be a great game, I think. Certainly interesting. And the story is, how will Jets quarterback Mike White play? Um, And then, you know, last time they played, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, had a couple ugly interceptions, struggled in the red zone. Uh, Can he nip that in the bud this week? I think he can. I think he's a different quarterback than he was a couple weeks ago. Josh Allen is making strides and getting better every week. But this Jets defense is good. That's a fun matchup. Jets defense against Josh Allen. But really the question is, can Mike White score enough points to keep up with Josh Allen? Uh, we're going to learn a lot about Mike White this weekend. That'll be fun. The Battle of Ohio is really interesting. 
the Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the first Battle of Ohio game for Deshaun Watson. I love to go to one of these games sometime. It's not as fun of a rivalry game as like a big-time college game like Alabama-LSU. But it is interesting. There's some bragging rights. It's, it's, I really, really like Cincinnati, Ohio, particularly. What an awesome city. Very underrated nationally. People hate on it. Skyline Chili's awesome. It's very clean. The stadiums are beautiful. Uh, I like the river. It's brown in the winter, but it's, it's really cool. Um, now, for Deshaun Watson, he had an ugly first start last week on the road against his former team, Houston. The question is, will Deshaun Watson play better for the Cleveland Browns this weekend? Uh, another crazy storyline, though, is that Joe Burrow has actually never beat the Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow was 0-4 against the Cleveland Browns in his career. That's weird, but true. He's never beat Cleveland. And I, I kind of can't believe that, but it, it's actually, you're like, wow, that's very weird. It'd be kind of funny, by the way, if the Browns add their quarterback to Sean Watson and they're paying like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. It'd be very weird if the Browns add Deshaun Watson, who's supposed to make their team better, and then do lose to Joe Burrow for the first time. How funny would that be? That's very much at risk of happening. I'm not sure what to expect from Deshaun Watson. Uh, I He's got to play well at some point. He didn't really play well in the first game, but it's one game. Uh, so I'm curious how Deshaun Watson plays in his second start of the year for the Cleveland Browns. Another big question this weekend is how will 49ers rookie quarterback Brock Purdy play this weekend. He played very well coming off the bench to replace Jimmy Garoppolo, who got hurt last week. And, you know, Brock Purdy beat Miami, which is crazy. And this week, Brock Purdy is making his first ever NFL start. He's going to do it because um, he's going to do it against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can you imagine, by the way, you're a rookie, seventh-round pick, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the entire NFL draft. Can you imagine making your first ever NFL start against Tom Brady and then winning how that's going to, how cool that's got to feel to tell your family to look in the mirror and be like, look how far we've come, Brock. I, I just beat Tom Brady in my first ever NFL start. I'm now the starting quarterback of the San Francisco freaking 49ers. Uh, there's a really big moment for a lot of personal accomplishment this weekend with Brock Purdy. I'm very interested to see how he does. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what kind of, how he's going to throw the ball downfield. Can he throw the ball downfield? He, a lot of stuff underneath last week. Um, one thing Brock Purdy did really well in his first game uh, was when he was blitzed by the Miami Dolphins, he hung in the pocket and he found good matchups downfield and threw the ball to beat the blitz. That's a high-level thing a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with. Uh, the question, though, is I think Tampa can get pressure with just a four-man rush. So how does he handle that? Um can he play in a messy pocket? I don't know. I'm, I'm just really fascinated to see how Brock Purdy plays this weekend for the 49ers. Now, the Miami Dolphins playing the LA Chargers is very, very interesting. It's Sunday night football. The Dolphins drafted Tua instead of drafting Justin Herbert. And they have been regularly compared since Tua and Herbert and people have... Said, yeah, Miami made the wrong choice. I think I've even said, even though I love Tua, uh, if you could go back, you probably would draft Justin Herbert instead of Tua. But it's going to be really fun to measure these guys, Tua and Herbert, head-to-head. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be one that people are going to go, well, when they play head-to-head, like you're going to hear these narratives again. If Miami loses to Herbert, you're going to hear, Miami should have drafted Justin Herbert. Blah, blah, blah. And if, if Tua can play really well and beat Justin Herbert, uh, I think it's going to quiet that narrative that they drafted the wrong guy quite a bit. 
Um, you can't go back. You can't change history. You can't change what you did. You, you make a decision. You got to roll with it uh, and do the best you can moving forward. You can't ever go back in time. But um, I think we're in, in for like a really fun, interesting game. And I actually think Miami is going to win. Uh, the Chargers just are not, you know, I, who's a better coach? Brandon Staley or, or Mike McDaniel? I think Mike McDaniel's a better coach. And uh, the Dolphins have a lot of talent. So I'm really interested in this game. Dolphins, Chargers, going to be a lot of discourse after the game. That's going to be fascinating to observe. Monday night football is uh, the 6-6 six and six New England Patriots on the road at the 4-8 and eight Arizona Cardinals. The big question to me is how will Patriots quarterback Mac Jones, Mac Oatmeal Jones play? How is... Mr. Oatmeal Jones going to do. Mr. Ah, you're fine, but uh, I'm not that impressed. Um, I had oatmeal this morning, by the way. Lovely. Lovely thing. But it's not the best breakfast you can have. Um, how is Oatmeal Jones going to do? Uh, I, I, like, I hope he does for like 500 yards and kills it. But I, I think what the Patriots have to do, I said it last time I talked about this, the Patriots have to make some kind of changes, whether it's a new offensive coordinator or actually hiring someone who is not just a de facto offensive coordinator calling plays, Matt Patricia, or they got to go get a bunch of players or maybe change quarterbacks. I don't know. But, um, you know, if Arizona scores a lot of points, I don't know that Mac Jones and the Patriots offense can keep up with them. However, the Arizona Cardinals are bad. They're four and eight. They've got talent, but I, I have been begging the Arizona Cardinals to fire their head coach Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's not up to the task. And this game is a potential interesting moment where Arizona could get outcoached badly on national TV by Bill Belichick and his staff on the Patriots. So uh, there's just a lot of interesting things that could be created after this game. How does Mac Jones play? Does Cliff Kingsbury get badly outcoached? Can Mac Jones keep up with Arizona if they score a lot of points? There's a lot of fun to be had here on Monday Night Football. It's going to be, despite two teams that are 6-6 six and six and 4-8, and eight, I think there's a lot of fun to be had between the Patriots and the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. By the way, it's worth noting, the Atlanta Falcons announced that Week 15, when Atlanta plays their next game, they play New Orleans. When that game happens, they are going to start their rookie quarterback, Desmond Ritter. They are benching their current quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Atlanta does not play this week. They have a bye week during week 14. So week 15, they are starting rookie quarterback Desmond Ritter. And it makes sense. Uh, Atlanta's 5-8. and eight. Tampa's 6-6. Six and six. Tampa leads the division. Atlanta, even if Atlanta can find a way to have a better record than Tampa and make the playoffs, they're just, they're not going to win a Super Bowl. And so once you realize your limitations... It's important to figure out what you got on your roster. And you got to play the young quarterback, see what he can do. But I would say to Desmond Ritter, good luck. Good luck. I worry for you. I absolutely hate, I hate Atlanta's offense. It's, I believe Arthur Smith is a bad head coach, to be totally frank. I think my problem with Arthur Smith, he does a terrible job building his system around his players. He's got talent that I think is very much capable of doing a lot of stuff, but he's committed to the run game. He's got a lot of boring concepts. He just doesn't evolve. With Marcus Mariota, you could have done so much more than the inept offense Atlanta ran. I I don't know why Atlanta didn't steal concepts from Marcus Mariota's days dominating at Oregon. I'd be like, hey, what does Marcus Mariota do well? Let's do that. 
Instead, you force this quarterback into your system, which is just frustrating to watch. And you got, you know, Drake London. You had Kyle Pitts, who's now hurt. You misused him entirely, in my opinion. But in spite of that, six of the eight losses by Atlanta this year are by one score. Like, Marcus Mariota was not the problem in Atlanta. It's unfortunate he's paying the price for uh, the bad organization he's a part of. But I worry Desmond Ritter is being put in a position to fail. And I'm rooting for Desmond Ritter. I want to see him do well. He's an awesome guy. But I don't know that he's being put in a position to succeed. And that's sad, but that's true. So I good luck, Desmond Ritter. You're going to be a starting quarterback, and that's awesome. But is he in a good position where he's going to do well? Is he being set up to succeed? I don't know, and that that sucks. I, I do not like seeing a young quarterback set up to fail. And I worry that's what's happening in Atlanta with Desmond Ritter. By the way, uh, I got a little... I'm going to get snarky here. The Texans made Davis Mills their starting quarterback once again. (laughs) And remember, the Houston Texans benched Davis Mills as if he was the problem. And and he was the reason why they were losing. The team around Davis Mills in Houston is absolutely awful. And the fact that he got blamed for the suck and the stink around him. You know, they benched Davis Mills for two games and realized, what are we doing? You know, we have a terrible team. We're putting Kyle Allen out there. Kyle Allen, two touchdowns, four interceptions, and a fumble in in the games replacing Davis Mills. I, I just, I hate, hate, hate when a guy who I think can play is put in a bad situation and then blamed when they lose. And you're like, what do you expect you put nothing around this young young man. How do you expect him to win? And of course he's going to throw interceptions. He's trying to do anything he can to make a play. I don't know. I, I just, I think Davis Mills has potential. I will say that. We'll do a film analysis to kind of decide once for once and for all when the year is over. But I think it's insane people think Davis Mills is bad. I'm like, have you watched him? Have you seen what he's playing with? Does that not matter at all? I, I don't know, man. I, I think Davis Mills on a good football team would do a lot of good stuff. You put Davis Mills in Dallas instead of Dak Prescott. If you switch Dak Prescott and Davis Mills, Dak Prescott would be bad on the Houston Texans. Davis Mills would win in Dallas. What the team you play on, the environment around you matters a ton. And the fact that people say Davis Mills is bad when he plays on a terrible football team. Name the quarterback who would win in Houston. Who? Who? Who's going to... I'm turning into an owl. Who? Who? Who's going to win in Dallas? I, nobody. Nobody. Aaron Rodgers would get obliterated in Dallas. Tom Brady would suck. Patrick Mahomes would be fun, but he'd still lose. Josh Allen would lose in Houston. Again, he'd be interesting. It'd be more fun because he can run around. But no quarterback is going to win with the roster they have in Houston. And the fact that Houston lost, it wasn't very good. And then Davis Mills got blamed for that? What a grave injustice. It makes me so angry. I'm like, ugh, you disgusting people. How? How can you do that? How can you tarnish the name of Davis Mills by saying he's bad because he's on a terrible football team? Well, the film won't lie. We'll do a film analysis after the year. I'm sure he's got bad plays. I'm not saying Davis Mills doesn't make mistakes ever. But my goodness, the fact that he you say he's terrible. Again, put Davis Mills in Dallas. He wins. Sorry, he would. Have Davis Mills play with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. He'd look amazing. Have him thrown to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Davis Mills would be awesome. 
I'm sorry. That's what I believe, and I'm not going to apologize. He's on a bad football team. That's why he looks bad. And the the situation you're in really, really matters. That's why if Baker Mayfield leaves L.A., if he leaves the Rams this offseason, he better be careful where he chooses because if you go to a bad situation, people are going to say you suck when you really don't suck. You suck because the people around you are terrible too and bringing you down. The situation a quarterback plays in is so, so important. All right. We got a lot of questions to answer on Patreon. If you want to submit questions to the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. I don't actually know if it's a forward slash. It might just be a slash, which I, I don't even know the difference. I, I I don't know what a forward slash is versus a backslash, but I say forward slash and it's more fun to say. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. Um, it's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. Uh, it, it pays the bills. Like this beautiful, amazing studio I'm recording in, that's because I've got Patreon supporters, <laughs> you know? And you notice... Uh, the more supporters on Patreon, the more beautiful and better the studio is going to get. So anyway, anyway, uh, you can, it's, you can donate more if you want to, please do. It literally does pay my rent and my bills. My rent is this truck. Um, I have no rent. I live in a truck, but, um, I, I'm so grateful to you guys. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. If you donate a dollar a month, my only guarantee is I'll look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. I love you guys, man. I think I want to do a Patreon um, fantasy football league next year, which will be really fun and interesting. I want to do a better job interacting with the people on Patreon because you guys, man, like I don't know if it, I, I properly say how much I appreciate the people on Patreon, but uh, not only is it a fun community of people that like me and send me nice messages and literally donate money to me, but it just, it's this awesome thing. I've made friends on it. There's a guy in Ken, named Kenny who lives in uh, Berkeley, California. I want to meet soon when I'm, I'm headed down there. There's people everywhere that are on Patreon, and I want to meet you all if I can. And I, um, you know, it, it's, I don't know if I can properly quantify my gratitude to the people who give me money on Patreon because you guys have kept the lights on. Uh, right now, it's a little tiny light on top of my camera, but you keep things going for me, and it makes a huge impact. Um, question number one comes from, I talked I answered a question from him earlier during the Rams topic. I'm going to read another one from Zach because it is interesting. Zach spelled Z-A-C writes in and says, with a college football playoff set, who do you have in the championship and who wins it? If we get a Michigan Ohio state rematch, can Michigan win twice in the same year? Signed a Zach spelled the right way. Um, who do I have? Probably Georgia, Michigan, but it could go either way. I, I think what makes this fun is can Michigan actually beat Ohio State twice this year? I have no idea, and that's what makes it fun. I, I don't. I don't know if Michigan can win. I don't even know if Michigan can finish a job against TCU. There's a lot of unknowns, and my favorite thing in the sports world is when I don't know what's going to happen. I hate watching a blowout where I'm like, this team is way better than that team. Dallas is playing Houston this weekend in the NFL. It's not going to be close. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be interesting. I don't care because I already know Dallas is going to dominate Houston. I love when I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen in the college football playoff. I'm I think Ohio State can genuinely challenge Georgia. That's going to be fun. And Michigan is great, but they're coached by Jim Harbaugh, who 
he finds the weirdest ways to win sometimes, to lose sometimes, excuse me. Like, I, remember the time he lost to Michigan State because they had a blocked punt? <laughs> like, if anyone can screw up and lose to TCU, it's Michigan. So, TCU has a legit shot. And then if Michigan does win, it's, it feels very likely. Let's be clear. Michigan got the easiest matchup. TCU is the fourth best team in the college football playoff. They're ranked third because they went to a conference title. Ohio State did not. I think they're also the conference, the the committee, the selection committee made a, a wise choice and said, if we put Ohio State third, we're just, we're just immediately rematching Ohio State and Michigan. That's not great. It's better to have Ohio State play Georgia. Who's going to give Georgia a better game than TCU would? There's politics involved. They know how matchups work. Um, so I think it's very likely because I would rather play TCU than either Georgia or Ohio State. Michigan's got an easier matchup. I think it's very likely Michigan's going to end up in the national title. And by the way, just being in the national title game would be a massive deal for Michigan. It would show how far Jim Harbaugh has taken this Michigan football team uh, and this program. But who would they play? Would they play Georgia or Ohio State? I'm not sure. But imagine this. Imagine if Michigan beat Ohio State for the third time in a row, they beat them last year, they beat them this year. If they beat them in the national title, it would be the third time in a row Michigan has beat Ohio State. And imagine if you beat Michigan, sorry, if Michigan beats Ohio State for the third game in a row and that game is in the national title game, I think heads in Michigan would explode. People, you could not contain the celebration, the happiness. Oh my goodness, it would be awesome. Um... What a storyline. I, I kind of want that, but I, I think what we're going to get most likely is Michigan against Georgia and Georgia winning. Um, but I, I I just think Georgia's dominant. But I think Ohio State genuinely can challenge Georgia. And if Ohio State beats Georgia, Michigan-Georgia, we saw it last time. It's an interesting, fun game. So I don't know, man. Um, it's, a, it's a glorious college football playoff because I have no idea What's going to happen? I There's the one thing I'm most certain about, and I'm not even certain about that. I'm pretty sure Michigan's going to beat TCU. But after that, I got no idea. And even that feels like a toss-up. So I love that. that. That's the best thing about college football and about sports is when there's a game happening and you're not sure what's going to happen. Games that go down to the wire, games where you're not sure. Uncertainty is brilliant in the sports world. Zachariah writes in and says, Hey, Zach, Sam Hartman, Wake Forest starting quarterback, missed part of the year with a blood clot that needed to be operated on. As a part of the procedure, he had to have a rib removed to relieve pressure on one of his veins and prevent another blood clot. Reports are that Sam Hartman has a rib sitting in his fridge at home and plans to get his own rib made into a necklace. Is this real? Am I in the Matrix and there is a short? I don't know anymore. Thought you would like to know since you won't have any more college football talking points for another three weeks. Bro, I can come up with stuff to talk about in the college football world. How dare you? Uh, Sam Hartman, though? Oh, man. Ah, weird, wild story. I'm not a big necklace guy. I don't, I don't wear any. I don't care. I do think it's kind of cool, to be honest. Um, it sounds like something Gardner Minshew would do. Like, the most interesting man in the world. He made a, he made a necklace out of his own rib. What's Sam Hartman going to do next? Like, I think that's cool. I think Sam Hartman is... Gardner Minshew energy, quite frankly. Um, I, I like and appreciate. I, I am not a very, dang it. I almost said I'm not a very weird and unique person as I sit in a pickup truck that I live in recording a sports podcast. Maybe that's not an accurate statement, but I feel like I'm very boring. Like I, I, I wear black. 
t-shirts every day. Every day. That's all I wear. I play Nintendo Switch. I love Breath of the Wild. Like, I'm, I'm pretty... I'm a normal, boring guy. Other than... I talk about sports for a living and live in a pickup truck. That's, like, the only thing that's interesting about me. I think. Um, I... I regularly compliment other people's clothing because people wear such cool, creative clothing that I, I just don't do it. I don't, I don't want to spend money on clothes. I don't like clothes. I don't get pleasure from it. But I look at people with a cool t-shirt and I'm like, that's sick. I would hate to have that because I'd have to try to match with it. It sounds like a pain in the ass. But, but man, I appreciate when other people do cool and unique stuff. And Sam Hartman, that's a cool and unique thing to make a ribbon to a necklace. What else are you going to do with a rib, by the way? Like, you get a rib... Do something cool with it. Why not? I don't know. Celebrate it. You almost, I think you almost died. So like, it's kind of a cool memento and what's the harm in it, right? It's, is it, is it a little weird? Sure. But it's, it's weird's not even the right word. It's just different and different isn't bad. So Sam Hartman, well done. I love it. If you ever want to come on the show, Sam Hartman, you're more than welcome. Um, do the rib necklace thing. Go, go, awesome. You love it. I should make that a breakout by the way. Sam Hartman turning his rib into a necklace is a great title for YouTube. So um, <laughs> I wasn't going to, but maybe we'll do that. I'll be like, here's a thumbnail. I'll be like, okay, that, that won't work at all. Um, maybe this, maybe. I don't know. Who sees? Who, who knows? Um, Isaac writes in. Isaac says, <laughs> I love this. Hello, Zamboni. You guys can call me Zamboni anytime you want. When you write into me, you refer to me as Zamboni or Zach's eyeballs. My two favorite things. Hello, Zamboni. What do you think of Deion Sanders as the coach of Colorado? He gave a, he gave a great talk that has riled up some people, and I'm wondering your thoughts. Safe travels and all the best. <laughs> Signed, D's Nuts, which I love that too. What a great reference. Thank you. Um, hey, fellow Patreon people, feel free to add sprinkles of creativity and weirdness into your writings. I think it's fun. I love it. Call me D's Nuts. Call me Zamboni. I think Zamboni, by the way, is a thing that like cleans the ice when you play hockey. I don't really know. Anyway, um, I covered very heavily yesterday uh, the Deion Sanders to Colorado hire. That's episode 528. So I have no notes here. I'm just going to ramble off my thoughts, but I'll say this. I think Deion Sanders, he's going to win. <laughs> it's going to be incredibly fun for uh to to watch Deion Sanders coach Colorado. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. I think he's going to build an atmosphere and an environment similar to what is portrayed in the documentary The U about the Miami Hurricanes. Um dude, I think he's going to You know, I I was talking the other day about how USC is going to have to worry about uh dealing with Colorado taking recruits. Uh remember USC is leaving the Pac-12 soon. But I don't know that that entirely matters because USC is in Southern California. They recruit Southern California players. Guess where Coach Prime is going to be shaking hands, trying to get guys to come play for him in Colorado. He's going to be in Southern California. Um, dude, in fact, can you imagine Deion Sanders coaching in LA? Woo! woo Dude, that, that would be... Uh, hey, if Chip Kelly ever leaves UCLA and they want to hire someone actually fun... Deion Sanders coaching. It's not USC. Lincoln, they got Lincoln Riley already, but Deion Sanders coach prime in the, the city of angels, what they call it. Palm trees, warm weather, easy to recruit. He's going to have a good time recruiting at Colorado where it's cold. It's pretty, but it's cold. Can you imagine Deion Sanders recruiting to somewhere warm and with beaches? That's awesome. 
I'll tell you what. But I think, dude, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado is is beautiful and really nice. You got good facilities. And Deion Sanders is, if nothing else, an incredible salesman. He is going to sell people on the Colorado Buffaloes program. And I just, it's exciting. I, I don't, even if he loses, it's going to be noteworthy and interesting. But he's got a YouTube channel called Well Off Media. I always assume it's his media company. I don't really know, but it's it's definitely, it's only Deion Sanders content. He's the decision maker behind the scenes, clearly. Um, go watch some Well Off Media videos. Dude, they are really fun to watch. They're interesting. They're well done. That is how you document your life and how you promote what's going on. I, I think there's nothing, no better tool for recruiting than Well Off Media, well-chosen name, by the way. You're like, just right off the bat, hey, we, you want to win to make money? Come here. But also, um, you get to see how Deion Sanders operates behind the scenes. And if I'm a high school kid who's considering playing for Deion Sanders, hmm, Lincoln Riley has like, I'm sure he has highly edited videos. They're in LA. People are all artsy-fartsy there and edit all kinds of videos. But they're they're probably not the same as Deion Sanders. Nick Saban doesn't have anything like what Deion Sanders' content is putting out. Um, I would feel like if I'm a recruit, I know Deion Sanders better. I know what he's about. I know how he operates. Based on the videos, you can watch for free on YouTube. It's incredible recruiting material. And man, I, I, I would love to play for Deion Sanders. He's going to challenge you. He's tough. He can be stern. He's intense. He has high expectations. You know what that does? That makes you into a good football player. Like, he is going to be, I think what Nick Saban has been at Alabama, just producing NFL players left and right. I think Deion Sanders wants to be that, and I think he very well can do that. Deion Sanders is building an empire, and Colorado does not feel like his final destination. It's a stepping stone. Who knows how long he's going to be there, but at some point when he wins at Colorado and does really well, a big program, they're going to come knocking, and it's going to be somewhere with a lot of money, warm. Like, can you... Maybe it's Miami. <laughs> I just that'd be incredible. Deion Sanders in Miami. Oh, the shades, the cool outfits, the warm weather, the beaches. I want to see Deion Sanders on a beach somewhere rather than in the mountains with a cold hoodie. But he's gonna win no matter where he goes. I believe in him. And uh I think that's enough rambling, but I just I'm really excited about Deion Sanders going to Colorado. I think it's gonna be a load of fun and it's my personal this Baker Mayfield little side quest has been awesome today. But the ongoing, long-lasting story in the sports world that I'm just obsessed with and love is Deion Sanders. And, and if I had to pick two, two favorite stories in sports. Baker Mayfield to the Rams, making plays, doing well, loving football. And Deion Sanders um, helping young men make a lot of money and get to the NFL. So compelling and easy to love and easy to root for. All right. Uh, Ethan writes in. Ethan says, and Ethan, well done, chef's kiss. Ethan says, hey, Zach's eyeballs. Long-time listener, first-time posting. Not really a question, but you flirted with the idea of tipping into fantasy content, and I think that's a great idea. Listening to your content, sorry, listening to your podcast on my commutes to work has helped me get a better understanding of what's happening around the league. Through your podcast, I put my chips into Tua and Jalen Waddle, who have won a few games for me. And that's just one example. I'm number one in my league at 10-3. and three. Thank you again for the amazing content, Ethan. Ethan, I think I would enjoy fantasy football. I worry it would be a burden because I know it's going to be a lot of work. And I'm the kind of person who, when I pick something, I get obsessive and I go, you know, I 
I would be a if I was a if I believed in religion, I would be a true blue all in. Like it would be a lot of work for me because I would have to if I really believed in it and felt like I do evangelize to everybody, I would be that guy who's like preaching about God everywhere and telling people like, I, I, when I pick something, I pick it and go all in. That's why I will never, um, what's, what's a better example here? Like, you know, um, I, I avoid a lot of politics cause I know if I just drank the Kool-Aid, it'd become my whole life. And I, I would be like telling people, here's what you should do. And here's, and I just, or, you know, with the environment, I, I'm passionate about the environment, but I, I try to avoid learning about it because the more I learn about it, the more I want to tell other people about it and try to make changes. And I, I just only have so much time. And I worry fantasy football is going to be something that's going to take up a lot of time and be a massive obsession. But I think I would love it. I think it'd be fun. I'd probably be good at it. And I think it'd make interesting content. That leads me to a write-in from Jeffrey who says, hello, Zach, and your eyeballs. Dude, Jeffrey Ethan. Both wrote in about fantasy football. Both had the eyeballs. Well done. Jeffrey says, Hello, Zach and your eyeballs. I remember this is kind of an off comment from an episode of SOS when talking about Derrick Henry, but you briefly mentioned doing, possibly doing fantasy football next year. I think if you were to go forward with that, it would be then cool to do it with some of your Patreon supporters. I think it'd be cool. It'd be a cool way to say thanks to a lucky 10 or 12 people who support you on here. Let me know your thoughts on this, as I'm sure plenty of us, like myself, would love to help you get started Thanks as always to you and your eyeballs. Jeffrey, you're the number one. We're doing fantasy football next year. Jeffrey is the first member. You got me and Jeffrey. There's 10 other spots out there for next year. Is it is it 12 people? I don't I've never played fantasy football in my life. So Jeffrey, we gotta talk. Send me your number if you want. We gotta I gotta figure out how this works for next year. Maybe like in March we can connect and make a plan. Um but you you just actually you made this, Jeffrey, you made the list. So if you want to be in it, you're in. Uh, but I do need someone to talk me through how it works because I've never done fantasy football and I have no idea what I'm doing as far as like how to build a league and how everything works and the rules of everything. Um, but it does sound fun. And I think what sounds really, really fun is to do a weekly show. I, I cannot be a lot of preparation. It's got to be pretty low key. But I think if I just, at some point I'm about to sit down on my phone and be like, who am I starting and why? If I just record that process of me going through my roster and who I'm picking and why and explain the decisions I'm making. I think it'd be a really interesting, fun podcast. I've never done fantasy football before. I think it would not only be really popular. A lot of people would watch it. A lot of people would like it. I think fantasy football is a massive deal that I've just never gotten into. Um, I worry because uh, time is so limited during the year. Uh, I, I worry that it's going to be time consuming and really impact the rest of the show. Which to me, this, the regular show is more important. But I think it's worth the time investment and doing a fantasy football league with listeners of the show would be so fun. And maybe um, I interview the winner of the fantasy football league. And if I win, I'll interview the runner up because you can't interview myself. Or maybe if I win, the runner up has to interview me. That would be interesting too, if if they want to. But uh, I want people to... You know, I, I want to have 12 people, so 11, because including me, 11 people on Patreon. I think 12 is a good amount, but I, I've never played fantasy football. So if, if you have bigger leagues, let me know, because I don't really know what I'm doing, though. But I, you can't do more than, I guess 12 would be a lot, because you got to pick players in the NFL. There's only so many players to go around. Um, but I think, to it's a fun way to participate with the audience, to do fantasy football, make content about it. It's, it's frankly easy content. It's fun content. And I, I get invited by my friends, like my real life friends that I see in, in my day-to-day life. They invite me to play fantasy football with them. 
And that sounds horrible. I, d I don't know why, but I'd rather play with you guys on Patreon. You guys are my people. You guys are my tribe. I love you. And I think that would be a blast. And it, how fun would it be to do a couple of interviews? Like, you know, this week I played blah, blah, blah. Just blah, blah, blah. I want to come on the show and talk. Like, we can make a whole little universe and really get nerdy with it. And I, I've just accepted I'm a massive nerd and um, need to, like, lean into that side of me and, like, just make weird creative stuff. And the fantasy football show sounds really, really fun. So I think we can do it once a week. And like, I think is Tuesday a good went to probably Wednesday because you got to do it before Thursday starts. So I don't know how that would work. Maybe you record it on Wednesday morning or Tuesday night or Wednesday morning and then put it out Wednesday evening so people can watch it Thursday morning before the week starts. I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't know. I need to do more research on when it would be a good time to record that show. But we're always going to do a Monday show. We're always going to do a Friday show. And we'll do a midweek show. And if we can stretch it, also add a fantasy football show. That's going to be four episodes of Strong Opinion Sports a week next year during football season. That's insane. Doesn't leave a lot of time for anything else. But um, that's the life I want to live. Like, that sounds so fun. I get a lot of hate from people. <clears throat> Hate's the wrong word. I get a lot of constructive criticism from people in my personal life. You got to relax. You got to take more time for yourself. You work too much. Yes. Yeah, I do. But I love my job. I have the best job on planet Earth. I don't think anyone enjoys their job or their life more than I do. Um, and is it hard? Yeah. Am I tired? Yeah. But also, to get to talk about sports for a living is such a cool opportunity. I would never want to take it for granted. I think there was a moment I called off my engagement uh, about this time last year. I was deeply depressed. I just stopped taking care of myself for like five months, basically. I just, I just gave up for a while. And at the time, I didn't appreciate what I had, which is an awesome job and a good life. Um, that's why listening to Deion Sanders talk about Colorado football is so compelling. Because he's like, dude, you've grown used to what you have. You've grown complacent. I'm coming from Jackson State. This training facility may not be the best in college football, but it's way better than I've ever had before. Like, you got to, I think gratitude is a really important thing. And I've got a lot of gratitude for what I do. The freedom to live in a truck, to drive around. What a cool thing. And I never want to take it for granted. And so I work my tail off fully understanding that, look, a lot of people love to do what I do. And I, I you know, I've, I've fought so hard to get here. I am not, I'm not leaving the chair if I don't have to. And, uh, you know, the people that worry about me and say I don't sleep enough, they're very kind and they mean well. But you know what? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not giving up what I do for anything. And I, I just, I just love my job. I'm so happy. All right. Um, Nathan writes in. Nathan is next. Nathan says, "Hey Zach." Oh, hold on. Oh, he says, "Hey Zach." I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Eyeballs threw me off. Nathan says, "Hey Zach." With this past off season, many coaches were hired, and a lot of these coaches have either been thriving or doing pretty good. You did have Nathaniel Hackett and Josh McDaniels, but McDaniels might be improving, and jo Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, might be a lost cause. But Peterson, Dable, O'Connell, Mike McDaniel, who've all been great. I don't entirely what you mean by there, but the question is, who out of these coaches are your favorite and which one will have the best career? And what coaches from last year have caught your eye in their second year? Um, Mike McDaniels is the best coach that got hired. 
this offseason. He's he's a genius. I, I he's not only is he good schematically in designing plays and that kind of stuff. The genius I think of Mike McDaniel is actually his communication style, his personality, and the way he treats his players. He instills confidence in his players. He makes players want to fight for him. He makes players like him. Uh, he saved to his career, and he he gave to a confidence. And the offense is scary, but I I have I'm starting to believe that whether they got Tyreek Hill or not. Miami would have done well because the way he relates to his players is just so, so important. And it's making Bill Belichick look like a dinosaur, frankly. The cold demeanor, the lack of warmth, the, um, you know, you're, you're watching the Patriots have to make subtle changes behind the scenes as a reaction to all these young pro player coaches like Kevin O'Connell and Mike McDaniel and... Dude, I, I absolutely adore, like, seriously, any video of Mike McDaniel talking is hilarious and fun and interesting. I, I would kill. To, I should I should try. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know why I can't send the email and try. I would love to interview Mike McDaniel in the offseason and just be like, dude, let's talk. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but your voice, your personality, it comes out and it's fun. And I just would, I should really try. I... I that's that's what that's a great idea, Zach. I'm gonna write that down. I want to try to interview Mike McDaniel this off season. I'm gonna pull every string. I've got connections a little bit. I can, I can pull connections, the strings, and do what I can. Uh, I got a business email now. Let's try to interview Mike McDaniel. So I love him. He's the best coach hired. He's gonna have the best career. He, he's just um, he's a schematic genius designing plays, but he also he just treats his players the right way, and that goes such a long way. The best second year coach is. Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni. What a guy, dude. Like, Eagles are 11 and 1. They could make a Super Bowl run. Their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, is an MVP candidate. And that's because of their coaching. And their coach, their GM, it's a, it's a really cool system. And I just really admire, admire Nick Sirianni for what he's done. And um, I remember making fun of him when he got hired, his, his terrible press conference. What way to, he just proved me wrong entirely. And I really am a fan of Nick Sirianni and what he's done in Philly. Optimistic Cyclone Van writes in and says, Hi, Zach. I am so happy because Brock Purdy, a.k.a. Mr. Relevant, irrelevant because he's the last pick of the draft, but he says Mr. Relevant is presumably the starting quarterback for the 49ers for the rest of the year. I hate that it took two people suffering season-ending injuries but such is life in the NFL. The Brock Purdy hype train has left the station, and I am in the front row. People are already talking about how Brock Purdy is leading the 49ers to a Super Bowl. That would be a heck of a story if Mr. Irrelevant led his team to a Super Bowl and then makes for some very interesting quarterback controversy in the offseason. Can you imagine if Brock Purdy won a Super Bowl and you're like, well, do we go back to Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy? What do we do? Like, <laughs> that would be fascinating. Um, no team has ever won a Super Bowl with their third-string quarterback before. However, this feels like a pipe dream as everyone is riding the high off of Brock Purdy's impressive performance off the bench last week. I'm preparing myself for the inevitable moment when everything comes crashing back down to earth. I'm just hoping it's not this week against the GOAT, Tom Brady. By the way, Brock Purdy was born four days before Tom Brady played his last game at Michigan. How poetic that Brock Purdy will make his first start against Tom Brady, the king of late round draft picks. Is Brock Purdy the next Tom Brady? 
How would you break down his performance on Sunday? Can he keep it up or will he fall back down to earth once defenses figure him out? Do you think he can do the impossible and lead the 49ers to a Super Bowl? Lots of fun storylines that I can't wait to follow. Cyclone Nation! Thanks, optimistic Cyclone fan. Um, NFL defenses don't figure a quarterback out. I, I really... I don't like when people say that because both sides are constantly making adjustments. It's a chess match. The defense is making adjustments. Adjustments. The offense is making adjustments. You have a game plan to stop a system. You don't figure out a player. That's not. You, you figure out maybe the way they're attacking you and do that. But then it's the offensive job to counter. And you, there's no just blanket statement. We figured you out, and you're done for the rest of the year. And then then you counter back. Um, I'm really curious how Brock Purdy does. Can he handle the pass rush against Tampa? That's that's fascinating to me. I think they're going to get pressure with a four-man rush. He, he did something I really, really liked against Miami where he beat the blitz throwing the football. They brought extra defenders after the quarterback. He hung in the pocket, threw the ball downfield for first downs. That's brilliant. Um, can Brock Purdy make throws farther downfield? That's a question I haven't really seen the answer to yet. It's just going to be interesting to watch. I don't know what to expect from Brock Purdy, but... It's going to be very fun. And it's it's definitely one of the biggest storylines this week in the NFL is how in the world is Brock Purdy going to play? And, uh, you know, I just want to say one more time, it's such a cool treat that Baker Mayfield became a storyline because Baker Mayfield was not viewed to me as a big storyline for this week. And he became one by playing. Like, I thought for sure week 15 we're going to be talking about Baker Mayfield. We're already talking about Baker Mayfield. And how how cool is that? Thanks, Baker, for making that happen. Um, it Bear writes in, the bear says, hey, Zach's eyeballs. I've got a couple of comments about some things you said on Monday. I deleted one of them about Brock Purdy. We already talked about Brock Purdy. But the bear says, first, you said Kirk Cousins struggles while under pressure. I don't disagree, but I'm wondering if there are any quarterbacks who don't struggle under constant pressure from all sides. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and other quarterbacks with great pocket presence can step up to avoid edge pressure or roll out avoid pressure up the middle. But when you're getting pressure from the edge and the middle all day, you can't do anything. You said Kirk Cousins' weakness is pressure. Couldn't you say the same of every quarterback? Secondly, I disagree with your comments on the Dolphins 49ers game. Tua played bad. Tua sailed a bunch of balls to open receivers while also completing some great passes. Like a secret, quote-unquote, to stopping the Dolphins, along with the Vikings and every other great offense in the league, is to get pressure on their quarterback. Tua had guys in his face and his feet all day that kept him from playing with the kind of accuracy that he normally does. Having a healthy Jalen Waddle would not have helped the Dolphins enough to win in this matchup, in my opinion. Thanks for reading, A Bear. A Bear, I appreciate you writing in. Um, I love the challenge. I like that you're challenging what I said. Technically, it's very fair, by the way. Um, like, yes, every quarterback hates when their offensive line gets beat. And also, though, I, I still maintain the blueprint to beat Minnesota is to get pressure on Kirk Cousins. And there are some quarterbacks who handle pressure better than others. Joe Burrow, for example, will go watch Joe Burrow against Tennessee in the playoffs last year. That's a benchmark performance for how a quarterback can handle getting hit a lot, pressure in his face, stepping into throws, stepping into pressure, handling it and winning anyway. He was sacked like 13 times or nine times or something crazy, and Joe Burrow still won to beat the Tennessee Titans. That's exactly what I'm talking about. In that same scenario, Kirk Cousins would have wilted. Um, So while, 
it's a very general statement to say, ah, I get pressure on the quarterback, you win. I do think that's how you win, by the way. You, you, if you want to build a good defense, the number one thing you do is draft defensive linemen. If you are like, have a bunch of average linebackers and average players in the secondary, but really, really good defensive linemen, they, they make the biggest impact on the field. Defensive linemen win a lot for defenses and make everyone else's job easier. So that that's what I would do. Uh, it is the blueprint to beat Minnesota to get quarterback to get pressure on Kirk Cousins. There are quarterbacks who handle pressure better than others. Joe Burrow is one of the best guys in the NFL at handling getting hit and still making throws on field and winning. Um, guys like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen handle it by making crazy plays to avoid sacks. Guys like Lamar Jackson avoid sacks and run around. Justin Fields can avoid pressure. Um, if you had to pick a quarterback to get pressured and still succeed. Justin Fields would do a lot better under pressure than Kirk Cousins. So I hear what you're saying, and you're not wrong. It is it is kind of, maybe, maybe it's like a weak thing to say, oh, get pressure on the quarterback. It's a very like, I watched football twice, and I know how to win. You just hit the quarterback a bunch. But um, I hope I hope I've provided more nuance to explain what I mean, which is that um, I've watched Joe Burrow handle pressure, and he hangs in the pocket. He steps into hits. He gets nailed, but he delivers a ball accurately on time. Kirk has not shown the ability to, when you hit him and make him uncomfortable in the pocket, he has his footwork breaks down. His accuracy falls off a cliff. His timing is bad. Kirk falls apart as a quarterback when you make him uncomfortable in the pocket. When you make Joe Burrow uncomfortable in the pocket, he slides, he steps in and throws. He still gets the ball where it's got to go. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a difference between the two. I hope that makes my point a little more. Uh, but Bear, I really do appreciate writing it. Let's talk about Miami, though. I do think, I disagree with you. I do think a healthy Jalen Waddell would have made an impact in the 49ers game. To have to guard another scary good receiver, it's always going to make an impact. I just, uh, time will tell. Um, you know, the, two ta- the two factors that helped the 49ers defense against Miami was they had a strong pass rush and Jalen Waddle was banged up. It, it's fun to note later though, Miami's not going to play an elite pass rush the rest of the year. Um, their biggest challenge will be Buffalo, who just gets some pressure on the quarterback. They lost Von Miller. I would love to see Miami uh, against Dallas or Philly. That's a great matchup. Or, or even a rematch of Miami against the 49ers with Jalen Waddle healthy because can I, I think you're right. The way to disrupt Tua is to get pressure on him. But I think with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you have got enough of a. It's so there's so many matchups out wide that um, you can catch and throw the ball immediately almost every time. And if you got two healthy receivers, your matchups across the board are just dominant. And so I don't know if I'm making sense, but um, we'll test this theory later when Miami plays a, a team with a really good pass rush. Um, and a bear just I, ho- I hope we just kind of manage this idea and, and keep revisiting it later because. Um, we're going to see how Miami does the rest of the year. We're going to see how Kirk Cousins does the rest of the year. And uh, it, this is a topic I definitely want to revisit later. Uh, ENK writes in. ENK says this. Hi, Zach. Next year, the Eagles will either have to extend Jalen Hurts or let him play out his contract. You recently stated that you wouldn't pay anyone $40 plus million except Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. My question is, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl this year and Jalen Hurts demands $45 million a year... Would you pay him or would you trade him for a bunch of draft picks and roll with Gardner Minshew on a much cheaper deal? 
I would not pay Jalen Hurts $40 million a year. Does Jalen Hurts deserve to be paid? Yes, Jalen Hurts deserves to be paid. He's still on a rookie salary. Uh, he's was a second-round pick. Jalen Hurts is getting wildly underpaid for what he's doing. He's making like a million something dollars a year, which is like, that's great money for you and me. I'll take a million dollars in a heartbeat. But for a guy who's an MVP candidate who might win MVP of the league to get paid what he's getting paid, it's it's absurd and and awful. And I'm okay with overpaying Jalen Hurts a little bit to make up for the years you underpaid him, actually. Um, what's not going to happen is if Jalen Hurts wins the NFL MVP, he's not getting traded away. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, although, Philly will have two first-round picks, and there's an interesting scenario where you trade Jalen Hurts, two draft picks to move up and draft Bryce Young. Like, I could see that happening, maybe. Um... But then you restart. You got to, I don't know. I just, I don't see Jalen Hurts going in where they're so invested. They work so hard to build him up to where he is. You do all this work to get this player in a good position to draft a new quarterback and restart. Doesn't make any sense. Um, what I would like is probably too low, but my imagination says pay Jalen Hurts $25 million a year. It's a five-year deal. $25 million a year. You're making $125 million and all of it is fully guaranteed. Does that work? Maybe it's 30 instead of 25. I can live with that. 40 is too much. And if, if you don't like making less money, let's fully guarantee everything so that, hey, um, I think that's, if we're going to pay you less money per year, it's got to at least be fully guaranteed and we can't take it away later. But if, you, if you're guaranteed $125 million, you're set for life. Like what more can you want? And it allows you to have room to pay your teammates and keep winning. So, um, I don't know. I'd love to see Jalen Hurts make $25 million a year. I realize that's probably wishful thinking, but maybe 30 is possible. What's 30 times 5? Let's do the math. 30 times 5. I'm embarrassed. I have to look it up, but I do. $150 million. If you guarantee Jalen Hurts 5 years, $150 million, $30 million a year, fully guaranteed. Take it. That's perfect. Everyone wins. You get it. You get a little bit of value at the quarterback position. You still can pay other people. I'd rather get Jalen for 25 than 30. Uh, I'd rather get 20, but that's that's I know that's insane. Um, but it, couldn't you throw $125 million fully guaranteed in front of Jalen Hurts for five years and say, look, you're set for life. Let's go win some football games. You're gonna get contract, you're gonna get sponsorships, you're gonna make a lot of income outside of football. Just let's win some football games and give you a healthy paycheck that you can you know your family has generational wealth forever. Um, and it's fully guaranteed. So if you get hurt, you're still going to get paid. I, that's what I would do if I was negotiating with Jalen Hurts. Um, but I, I'm not a GM, so I, we'll see what happens. It's it's definitely a really, really fascinating storyline um, this offseason to see what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts' contract uh, when the year is over. Logie writes in. Logie says, Sup, Zach's eye holes? Love that one. Eye holes is a fun one. UW starting quarterback Michael Penix Jr. just announced he is coming back next year. I'm super excited because I'm transferring to UW next year. This year was great, but since we lost to Arizona State, we missed the Pac-12 title game and lost in the Rose Bowl to Utah. So this season kind of ended in disappointment. You lost in the Rose Bowl to Utah. In the What? How is that possible? I don't understand that sentence because the Rose Bowl hasn't happened yet and you didn't play Utah in the Rose Bowl. I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand. Anyway, the season has kind of ended in disappointment, but I'm still grateful for the great year we had. Our program turned around super quickly. My question is, do you think it's possible for us to win the Pac-12 next year? 
I think it is. I also didn't think there's a chance Michael Penix Jr. has a chance at the Heisman. I think he does. I also was at the Oregon game. That was the best game of the year. Thanks, Logie. Um, the Pac-12 is going to be fun next year, man. Michael Penix Jr. is going to make a name for himself in NFL circles. He's not a guaranteed first-round pick right now. So if you're not a guy viewed as a first-round pick, you stay in college and play as long as you can because you're, if you go to the NFL, you're not guaranteed to ever get on the field ever again. You are guaranteed to be the man, have fun, enjoy life, and get to play at UW. Do that for sure. Um, you're not guaranteed NFL success. But if you do great your last year at UW, Michael Penix Jr. definitely could become a first-round pick, and I think that's possible. Also, Heisman Trophy, it's out there. Led college football in passing. He's he's impressive, man. Um, and, and dude, Logie, you were at the Oregon UW game. That game was so fun to watch on TV. I can't even imagine how awesome it was in person. And can you dub win the Pac-12? I, I got no idea, honestly. Uh, but they will be in the mix between Oregon, Utah, USC, U-dubs out there. It's going to be really fun, the Pac-12 next year. They kind of they eat each other alive every year. But, it, you know, Pac-12 football is great in a vacuum. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad Michael Panic Jr. is coming back. I think that's for his quality of life and for memories. And when life is short and you're only guaranteed so many snaps on the field— to stay as long as you can and get guaranteed snaps, having fun, doing what you love, being the man at college, at UW. Um, good for Michael Panix Jr. That decision makes sense, and I'm, I'm really rooting for him and excited for him. Daniel writes in and says, Hey, Zach, you mentioned that Tennessee's offense, that's the Tennessee Titans, doesn't have much going on when the run game is shut down. But I think that has been true ever since Ryan Tannehill arrived. If the run game isn't working, Tennessee usually struggles to even complete passes, even when they had A.J. Brown. Actually, he says Tennessee struggles to compete, even when they had A.J. Brown, who's now a stud receiver for Philadelphia. It's hard to knock Ryan Tannehill because the Titans have been incredible since he arrived, but I think it shows how the Titans more often win with Tannehill than because of him. Um, I, I read this right in Daniel because I just really like how you put that. Tennessee wins with Ryan Tannehill, but not because of him. That that's that's good wordsmanship. That's good writing. I like that. I'm gonna steal that in the future for sure. Do I have your permission? I think I do to talk about that. But that's a great line. They win with him, not because of him. That's exactly what I would say about Stetson Bennett at Georgia last year. Last year, Georgia won with Stetson Bennett. This year, Georgia's winning because of Stetson Bennett. So Daniel, that when I say that in the future, for the next however many years the show goes on, 20 years, 25, 50 years, just remember this is a moment in the show's history when I say they win with him but not because of him. That came from Daniel. Daniel, what a write-in. Thank you for evolving my speech. And uh, what, a, what a great write-in. Thank you, Daniel. Jonah says, hey, Zach, do you think the NFL should adjust the college, the, whoa, not the college, Hey, Zach, Jonah says, do you think the NFL should adjust the playoff qualifications? It's looking like Tampa Bay might get to host a playoff game with a losing record, while other NFC teams with better records might miss the postseason entirely. I'm not quite sure how they would keep the idea of divisions relevant with this kind of change, but I feel like it would make for a more interesting earned wildcard round. Maybe a point system like hockey would work, two points for a win, three points for a division win, something along those lines. Thoughts? Um, there's a simple answer here, man. If you win your division, you got to make the playoffs. You can't, I don't care if you have a losing record or not. And if you're one of the teams with a good record who doesn't make it in, the answer is simple. You should have won more games. It's the harsh world. I think the playoffs are great, Jonah. I wouldn't change anything. Um, 
winning your division has to matter because it makes division rivalry games matter. That domino effect is really important. And, um, you know, the reason why we care about Giants-Eagles this weekend is because it's a division rivalry game that impacts who gets a home playoff game, all kinds of stuff. It impacts the Dallas Cowboys, everything. And if you ask me, the NFL playoffs are literally perfect. I'm glad they added a seventh team. That's awesome. Only one team gets a bye. I'm not even sure if that's a benefit. You could add an eight team if you want, but then it's it's oversaturation, I think, a little bit too. I I don't think I would do anything to change the NFL playoffs. They're perfect. And if you ask me, you, you shouldn't mess with them at all. Last right end of the day, Ryan writes in and says, Hi, Zach. Lions fan here. You called me out, so I'll answer. Let's be clear, Ryan. I didn't call you out. I invited you to provide feedback as a Lions fan. Uh, I said, Lions fans, please write in. You did. Here we are. Um, so thank you for writing in. But uh, let's be clear. I didn't hope, I hope my aggressive desire for opinion didn't make you feel called out. So uh, maybe it's just a, a decision on words here, but I, I would never call you out. You're awesome, Ryan. Anyway, Ryan says, the Lions have four picks in the first two rounds. I want slash ex- expect some combination of two defensive backs and a defensive tackle with an offensive weapon of some kind in the in the four picks in the first two rounds. My personal ideal scenario is Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle out of Georgia with the Rams pick, number four overall, or three, or top whatever it is. And then Quinton Johnson, the wide receiver out of TCU with a Lions pick. Then the best corner and safety with the Lions and Vikings second round pick. I just really care too much about I don't really care too much about the names in the second. Just figured I'd put my two cents in. Thanks for the time. Sincerely, Ryan. Ryan, I love that. I totally agree. You focus on defense. You get another receiving weapon if you can to help your offense get even better. You're scoring a lot of points, but you can always score more. And receivers are just so valuable right now. Um, To pass on a good receiver in the first round seems bad. But then, yeah, I think in the second round, you draft a, a safety and a corner. It just makes perfect sense. I think that's a great plan, Ryan. I really like your writing. Um if if two, if, sorry, three of the first four picks the Lions make in the draft are defense, and then one is an offensive weapon, that's a, that's a brilliant, brilliant game plan to me. We'll see if that happens. Um, but Ryan, I think you, I think you might actually have you know predicted what's going to happen accurately. So I'm hoping that's what happens too. I really like that plan. We're aligned there, and uh, I I am excited. I think the Lions have a potential opportunity here. Potential opportunity is kind of a double negative. They have an opportunity that the Lions do. To build a really great roster. I mean, they're they're already competitive. They're close to winning, I think. They they don't have a winning record, but they've, they've been so competitive so many times this year. Jared Goff scores a lot of points. Uh, I think he's playing the best football of his career. Jared Goff's getting better, too. I don't know why people are so close-minded that Jared Goff can take them to, like, a Super Bowl or something. Um, he's going to keep getting better, and he is getting better every time I watch Jared Goff, and that's pretty cool. He doesn't have Sean McVay holding his hand anymore. He's really had to grow as a quarterback, and I'm very happy with that. So um, I, I think the sky is the limit for the Lions, and I, I so badly want to see the Lions win a playoff game. We saw Cleveland do it. The Lions are next, and uh, surely the Lions can't be bad my entire lifetime, right? Right? But then there are people who are like 60, and <laughs> they've been Lions fans their whole lives, and the Lions have been bad their entire lives. So I don't know. I don't know. Poor Lions fans. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. That's all I have for today. Um, we got the weekend coming up. Let's have some fun this weekend, man. A lot of good football games. 
It's the holidays, hang out with your family. I'm spending time with my family before I leave uh, on a road trip. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum-bam, we are done.